Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Well, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm 105. We'll be in Psalm 105 and 106 this morning. These back-to-back psalms that I've called fraternal twins because they are similar in so many ways, but then they are very distinct. Fraternal twins, you know, are not the identical twins, but they're born at the same time and are distinct at the same time. So that's where we'll be this morning. And it is September 1st. How many of you excited about that? I think some people have pumpkin spice lattes. Have you had one yet? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's right. Make some noise for the pumpkin spice latte. Some parents are really excited that their kids are going back to school. Other parents, the more mature ones, are sad that they or kids are going back to school. Ha-ha! The setup! The setup! Yeah. Yeah. All that to say, the calendar is changing. The season will soon change. That hot weather we had last week was the last gasp of summer. I'm sure of it. School comes, and today is kind of one of these time between the times moment. It's not really summer anymore, but it's not yet fall. And so we have an opportunity right here to pay attention to life a bit differently. Space to reflect and consider, to interrupt a couple of weeks ago, Danya and I, my wife Danya, I'm married to the children's director, if you're new to us here, yeah. Uh, we were out on a run together, something that we've enjoyed doing our whole relationship. Um, and we decided that we were going to run for four miles, and then we were going to do the rest of this loop that would be another three miles of walking. And so we began on our run, and we were running down the Croizen Scenic Trail, which comes from our neighborhood down up by Sprague High School, down to Croizen Creek Road, and, and then to River Road. And anyway, that's where we're running, down this trail, through the forest. And Danya was ahead of me. That's humility right there. I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we were making our way down, and my foot caught on some sort of root, and I screamed out, Danya! <laughs> that's what I said. Some of you think the pastor would say, Jesus, I said, Danya. <laughs> and I went, and we were on quite an incline, and I just, it was this fast, and I smacked hard. And I sat there. You've been there. Adrenaline kicks in, and you're kind of thinking about your body and feeling your body and taking account. And Danya came over, and she was great. She's like, are you okay? What can I do? Is anything broken? And I'm just, you know... And suddenly I'm aware of my palms. You know? I don't, I'm not usually aware of my palms. I was aware of my knees. And then as I stood, I was sharply aware of my left foot. These things that I, I don't pay attention to. But the pain and the disruption caused me to pay attention to all this and took account of all things And I was raised in a culture where you're always tough. And so we finished that run and that walk. So we're tough. That's right. Well, 
This morning, let us allow the Lord in this turning of the calendar to sit us down on the trail of our life. And as Danny said, to, to speak to us through his word and to bring some attention to some things that maybe we would not normally pay attention to. I think he wants to draw our attention to some important things. The Psalms, or as it's called, the Psalter, which is all 150 Psalms, this book right in the middle of your Bible. The Psalms teach us how to pray. The Psalms interrupt our culturally formed ideas of what prayer is and teaches us to pray. So last week, as I often do, to get away to study and to prepare for where God is leading us together, I was at the Mount Angel Monastery in Abbey, above Mount Angel. If you haven't been there, it's, it's beautiful and just amazing. And the monks there at the monastery, there's about 50 of them, I think, they pray six times a day, seven days a week, and their prayer liturgy is praying through the Psalms over and over. At that pace, they complete all 150 Psalms every two weeks. I was, as I was talking with some other guests who were there for various retreats, we all noted that there's a stillness and a peace that is there. For 135 years, seven days a week, six times a day, this prayer has been happening. My respect really grew as I talked with one of the monks there who graduated with his, uh, or became a medical doctor, finished his residency, and then became a monk, giving up all of that for a life of stillness, of quiet, of work, and of prayer. I admire their commitment. It's not for all of us. But they've given over their life to what ultimately forms us, prayer. And so I am challenged to grow in prayer. Prayer is the means to our discipleship and our growth. Stanley Hauerwas, an author that I like, and I would encourage you to look him up, be challenged by him, in a book called The Character of Virtue, Letters to a Godson, he says, God has given us a wonderful exercise for training and truthfulness. We've talked about truthfulness as walking what is really going on. That exercise is called prayer. To learn to pray is to have our bodies formed by the truth and love that move the sun and the stars. If you're like me, you, you don't know how to pray very well. This is something we learn. The Psalms teach us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another one of my favorites. <laughs> I don't know if sermon goes by, I don't quote Bonhoeffer anymore, but that's, that's good. <laughs> He says, in the Psalter, we learn to pray on the basis of Christ's prayer. He talks about how the Hebrew boys, Jesus was Hebrew, Jewish, they prayed and were taught and memorized large sections of these. These were Christ's prayers. The Psalter is the great school of prayer, he says. First, we learn here what prayer means. It means praying on the basis of the word of God that Donnie mentioned, on the basis of promises, Christian prayer takes its stand 
on the solid ground of the revealed word and has nothing to do with vague, self-seeking desires. That challenges me. I think, okay, well, I'm pretty self-seeking. Like most of us are. Where do we start? The Psalms. Teach, praying through these will teach us the language of God, the anticipation of God, and how to pray. Because prayer is listening and reflecting. Prayer is, it's many things, declaring who God is. Prayer is declaring God's faithfulness. Prayer is inviting God to intervene in our lives. Prayer is grieving and repenting. Prayer is lamenting. Prayer is giving thanks. Prayer is expressing. Prayer is interactive. And if you're like me, and I think we are, we, we aren't confident that we're up to the task of prayer. And the Psalms help us. And this is something that I'm learning. We can read the Psalms, and we can pray through them and take them as our own. And we can take them as our own. And when we read something in the Psalms that doesn't immediately relate to us, we can know that someone in the greater body of Christ, that is their prayer. And they, or they need that prayer. And praying in this way can elevate our understanding and our empathy for the amazing human experience that is often difficult, filled with challenges, conflict, a lack of clarity. As Danya mentioned, we have both faith and faithlessness that we bring to life. And the psalm teaches us how to pray through those things and how to be honest with those things. And today, as we talk, there are two psalms, these twin psalms, that teach us how to reflect on God's faithfulness. We'll see God's faithfulness because of who he is. And then they teach us to pray in such a way that acknowledges the Lord's faithfulness in spite of our errors. Both of these psalms are about God's faithfulness and declaring it, but they're distinct in some ways that we're going to point out here. There's two words that I want to introduce you to that might be helpful as we make sense of these two psalms. And by the way, we're not going to read these whole things. This will be some homework this week to read through and pray through and to explore further, but we will take a little bits of them. So the first word is transcendence, which is the spiritual reality that is far above and bigger than our day-to-day lives. Spiritual reality that is far above and bigger than our day-to-day lives. Psalm 105 is going to teach us how to pray into this transcendent reality, the broad brushstrokes of God's faithfulness throughout history. And it'll teach us, like that, the saying is, God is good, and then somebody says, all the time. That's a part of that transcendent prayer, that God is good all the time. That's the broad brushstroke, that he created good at the beginning, and in spite of our errors, we don't even have to pay attention to that. If we don't want to, we can just say, God is redeeming all things. Yeah. And that is a wonderful way to pray, and we'll see that in Psalm 105. Psalm 106 teaches us to pray into the eminence of God which is that which pertains to what is immediately around us. Psalm 106 will get into the nitty-gritty. It will get to the common, to the challenge, to the mistakes, to the human failing, and we'll see God's faithfulness through all of that. And this psalm teaches us to pray honestly about our lives. 
and about what is going on. Both are important. These fraternal twins, as we will say, are both important for us. And you might find that you are better at one form of reflection than the other. Some of us tend to hang out in the transcendent reality that, yes, God is good. And we don't like to talk about the hard things. We don't like to talk, but we see that God is good, and we'll come back to that. And then we kind of avoid the, the other stuff. It's like, well, again, and that's kind of how we see it. That's not all wrong, but Psalm 106 is for you. Because Psalm 106 teaches us to pray about God's faithfulness in the midst of our struggle and our failing and our sinfulness and our rebellion towards God. And it teaches us to pray in this way that, man, I am held responsible and held into account here. Some of us are comfortable with this eminent side. It's all of our prayers are all about us all the time. God only exists within my eminent reality around me. And my sense of his goodness is whether or not I feel good or not about him or about my life. And we need to be thrust back to Psalm 105. It says, well, God is good and this isn't about you. Actually, his faithfulness endures generation to generation. And it's, it's way less about the individual than what our culture tells us it is. Amen. And his plan is going to be made complete in spite of us. And we need to come back to that and say, wow, I praise you, God, even when I don't get what's going on. I don't have to make sense of it. The Psalms teach us to pray. And in both ways of praying, we are grown and matured. Not just as individuals, as I said, but as members of his eternal body. So we'll make some more observations together in a moment. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we open up your holy word and we ask that you would teach us to pray. Teach us the right posture. Thank you for those who have gone before us, who give us language, and who help us connect. Jesus, as you pray these prayers, we're praying your prayers. Help us to pray well, and to pray with the right posture and the right understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We'll note that these psalms begin in a very similar way, both Psalm 105 and 106. Psalm 105 begins, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Sounds very similar to the beginning of Psalm 106. Let's read this beginning together. Ready? Go. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise him enough? Those are rhetorical questions. <laughs> there's, there's no end to it. There's no end. Wow, God has been so good. So they begin in the same way. They're both psalms or prayers of praise, celebrating God's deeds. And so we learn, first and foremost, that it is important for us in our prayers to recount and declare God's faithfulness. To, to recount God's grace in our lives and throughout history, to recount that God has been active and he is working. We have so much to be thankful for and to praise him for. So that's the first lesson that we can take from both of these psalms. And as we talk about the variance between the two psalms, don't lose the biggest point. Pray by reflecting on God's faithfulness. It changes our perspective of what's going on. 
But the Psalms change their emphasis as both of them go through and you compare them side by side. And there's a difference. One that is, stays in the transcendent big picture stuff and the other that gets in the nitty gritty. Both are helpful for us. So first, Psalm 105. The verses 7 and 8 kind of help us to frame where this prayer is going. He is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. You know, you just, you just picture the psalm writers like on the highest point that he can or she can, and they're, they're just declaring, man, God's faithfulness throughout the land. And then this superlative, he always stands by his covenant that he has made. The commitment he made to a thousand generations. Do you see the big, broad, the commitment that God made, that God, where he exists, he is able to see history as, un, as on a table before him, and he is being faithful in a, in a moment, in a second of the time that God exists with him. He's being faithful to all generations, and this broad brushstroke that just paints it all beautifully. God is faithful, and he's good. And when we say God is good, what do we say, Gary? All the time. God is good. All the time. Hmm. You're getting it. You're good Psalm 105 people. He goes on to recount throughout the psalm, and again, read it. Read the rest of it later. He recounts that God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham and Isaac, that he was going to bless them and multiply them. And even when there were, there were just a few of them, he promised this land to them, the land of Canaan. And the psalmist records that. That God protected them in their history by sending Joseph to Egypt so that they would be preserved from the famine. And the psalmist records that the people of Israel grew in number. And that even when the Egyptians turned on the Israelites, that God raised up Moses. And, and the crowd's like, yeah! You know, as we read that, we're like, yeah, that's right! <laughs> and then through the plagues, the psalm records, Pharaoh's hand was pressed, and Pharaoh let the people go. And the people were released from slavery. And again, we say, yeah, God is good! All the time! Yes! And as they walked to the promised land, God gave them meat, and he gave them manna, and he gave them water. God is good. God remembered and he brought them out of Egypt, the psalmist writes, with great joy. God is good. And he gave them the land. This psalm paints the brushstroke of Israel's history with this sense of God's transcendent reality beyond all things. God is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness knows no end. Amen. And we need to learn to pray in this way and to extol God beyond our circumstance. Amen. This prayer highlights the big points, the broad brushstrokes. To see God's goodness and mercy, we learn to pray like Psalm 105 teaches us. But Psalm 105's neighbor helps us to get more gritty. It still esteems God, God's faithfulness is still the big story. But God's faithfulness is shown in the mire and muck of life and our mistakes. Psalm 106, the focus changes, verses 6 through 8. Like our ancestors, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. 
They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. Same story. With an eminent, personal, gritty observation. Even so, he saved them to defend the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power. Faithfulness of God but it gets gritty and real world in terms of its emphasis. It's like the poet has walked off of the mountain and is now among the dwellings at the floor level, watching people in their daily lives, being surrounded by the muck and the mire and the choices And now his prayer is different. And he says, in spite of us, you are good. In spite of us, this rabble, who we can't even say that we're well-intentioned because our hearts are so far. In spite of that, your goodness is here. This psalm as you read through, is full of an invitation to pray in a way of communal humility. Listen how the psalm teaches us to pray honestly. I've scanned through it, read through it, and I want to summarize some of what the psalm gets at as it recounts Israel's lack of faithfulness in the context of God's faithfulness. I encourage you to read this whole psalm sometime so you can be afresh reminded that the scriptures are nitty gritty and they show up on our doorstep of our lives. I'm going to personalize this with we pronouns as I recount some of the things that the psalm recounts. We're here. We quickly forget what God has done. This is one of the critiques that the psalmist makes. The psalmist says that we don't wait for the counsel of the Lord. That we trust our own mind and our own perspective. That we don't, in other words, walk in the way that Danya referred to, walk in the way of faith. But we walk according to what we can see. We don't wait for the counsel of the Lord. I am baffled by the lack of humility in the Christian community of waiting for the counsel of the Lord and the counsel of godly people around us. Each person is making their own way in our culture. The psalmist talks about our desires running wild. That running after pleasure and things and accumulation, running to the nearest quick fix, So the serotonin is released in our brain and we feel good for a moment, chasing after the pleasures of life. The psalmist says that we test God's patience. Danya said that God's patience never ends. That is true, but we still test it and we try him. Listen, the psalmist records, and this is so good for us, and it's affirmed in several places in the New Testament, the psalmist says that we become jealous of our spiritual leaders. That there's something about those who have been called to walk in spiritual authority 
that we, we develop enmity towards. And we become jealous. The people of Israel who were led by this faithful man, Moses, and yet they complained and they turned against and they created rebellion. The same thing is at play within our hearts. The psalm teaches us to pray and to be honest about the the nature of our hearts and the tendency to become jealous and have enmity towards our spiritual leaders. And as a pastor who's been the recipient of that, it's true, and it's ubiquitous. That means it's all in us which is not an assault on any one person, just, but it is to say that it is the plan of the enemy against us. We make idols and choose to serve what we can see rather than the unseen God. The psalmist talks about they're forgetting that they needed a savior. We tend to think, well, I'm, I'm just fine on my own. Thank you, officer. Which is like us. We're so inebriated with our own culture and our own way, but we think that we're just fine. (laughs) Just give me a minute. (laughs) And this is the picture. This is the right picture for us. We forget that we need a Savior. We need the counsel of the Lord. We need to look to Him. We need His wisdom. We need to be corrected. We need to be held The picture of God, our Father, welcoming us into his lap with love is wonderful, but it's not just rosy and Santa Claus. It's like him wrapping us up and holding us and carrying us because we are so prone to blow it on our own. We grumble behind closed doors. You know, scriptures say do everything without complaining. Yeah. Who can do that for a day? I don't know. Some of you, like in the last 30 seconds. Just. Pastor's going to talk about that again? All right. We refuse to obey God. We participate with the worship of false gods. I just went through the psalm. I'm just drawing these things out. We don't finish what God asks us to do. That's amazing in our culture. We're going to talk about Sermon on the Mount. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. We live in a culture where it's like, yes, actually no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Like, do you you notice how you don't trust people to do what they say? Even in the Christian community? Have you noticed that? And it's kind of like this tacitly acceptable thing. We're like, yeah, we're all, we all have good hearts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, you have good hearts and that you've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. To make your heart good, he had to go to the cross. He had to give himself fully over to make your heart good. Yeah. To give you a, a, a fighting chance in the world. He had to bleed out. That's what makes our heart good. God had to intercept the trajectory of humanity with his son, Jesus. He had to give everything to make it good. So we should be very sober-minded. Words make a difference. We adopt the ways of the world that lead to destruction. 
We talk a lot about here about the cultural things here. We want you to have an imagination for the culture and the way that it's taking you to because it's a, a big stream and it's a big current. It's a big river that Chris pointed out a couple of weeks ago that will take us to where we don't want to go. The ways of the world, we want to see the ways of God that confronts us. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so we can live differently. Listen to this. We fail to protect our children from the ills of the world. That psalm recounts how the children of Israel and following the ways of the world around them begin to sacrifice their own children at the altars of Moloch and other gods. And we don't have child or human sacrifice within our culture, but we have lost our sensibilities about raising our children in the good and the right ways of the Lord, and we're giving them over to everything else within our culture. The parent that doesn't say no to the influence of the world is the unwise and ungodly parent. Again, the psalm teaches us to pray The psalm teaches us to to recite this reality that the hearts of man are fickle. So that we'd be willing to repent again, to turn around. But woven throughout the psalm is hope because the big story is never about our faithfulness. The big story is always about God's faithfulness. This journey is always a journey of grace. And reading through the Psalms will remind us of that over and over again. Later down in the Psalm, verses 43 through 47, let's read this together. Ready, go. Again and again he rescued them, but they chose to rebel against him, and they were finally destroyed by their sin. Even so, he pitied them in their distress and listened to their cries. He remembered his covenant with them and relented because of his unfailing love. He even caused their captors to treat them with kindness. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us back from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. In spite of this account of their faithlessness and their fickleness, the psalmist comes back again and says, in spite of these things, you've rescued and you've shown that your first wave of generosity and grace is not your last wave of generosity and grace, that your mercy will be shown from generation to generation. And that's where the hope is for us. But the hope isn't to remain in our own stubborn man-centered ways, but to turn in repentance towards him. Psalm 51 is the prayer of David after he sinned with Bathsheba. And he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. It's a psalm of repentance that teaches us when we are convicted by this, as we see God's faithfulness and our faithlessness, that we repent and we turn towards him. In a moment, we'll receive of communion. But before we come to that opportunity, I want to tell you a little story of my, this last week that illustrates the difference and the equal validity of both the transcendent prayer, God is good in big brushstrokes, and the eminent prayer, God is good in spite of all that we see. So I was at the Abbey studying we're going into the Sermon on the Mount together, September 15th, and 
I am so challenged as we read the words of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, we begin on September 15th. I'm, I, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Anyway, so that's what I was there doing and praying. The guest house there at the Abbey, people come on spiritual retreats um, for a few days or a week to pray, to refresh, to consider. It's a wonderful thing to do. I invite you to take advantage of what is just a few minutes away. It's world class in terms of a retreat center that is devoted towards God. <clears throat> the meals are shared together uh, in a small dining hall there. And the first couple of days I was there, there was a group of Presbyterian pastors who were about my age, and they were there for a retreat together. So we ate meals together, and I got to know them. And, and then they left a day before I did, and so I prayed with them, just prayed blessing over them and their families and their work as they head back to Washington. And so for the next couple of meals, I spent time with three elderly women who were there on a spiritual retreat. Each of them was in their mid to late 80s, and I got to know them and was really grateful for the opportunity that I had to do so. Each of them had lost their husbands along the way, and in one meal we were sharing a bit more about ourselves, and that's when I met Kristen. A different Kristen, yeah. She was the last one in the dining hall one day, and just a few minutes prior, as we were all sharing a bit of our story, she talked about a... Uh, God's faithfulness to her, and in the 1980s, she studied at that seminary and then became a Lutheran pastor. And each of us were like, man, God is good, and it's grace and his faithfulness. And um, she was from Minnesota, and so she had this folksy Midwestern humor about her, and it was really interesting to listen to her. But then as we were leaving, everybody else departed the dining hall, and I was leaving, and then I felt prompted to go back to Kristen. Everybody else had left with the Psalm 105 version of Kristen's story. Big, broad brushstrokes. But I felt compelled to ask her the question. I sat down next to her. She didn't hear very well, so I leaned in. And I said, what did your life consist of before you became a pastor? If that was in the 1980s, you had lived a lot of life. And the look on her face told me that this was going to be more like a Psalm 106 reflection. She carefully said she was mostly a stay-at-home mom. I could just tell by the look in her eyes that there's a lot there. She told me that her German husband, who was 10 years older than her, had been raised in Nazi Germany, had been a part of the Hitler Youth Movement while the Nazis were in charge. After her marriage ended in the 1980s, Kristen set on a journey to understand her husband's low empathy, emotionlessness, his controlling way. He wouldn't ever talk about it and wasn't willing to talk to her later when she wrote a book about her experience. But she began her own inquiry into how the youth of Hitler's Germany were raised. She discovered many things. One, that at weekly gatherings, the children who were being raised in the Hitler Youth Movement were required sometimes to bring a family pet to the meeting and then to kill it in front of everyone and show no remorse. 
They were taught to always value strength over weakness. They were taught to be stronger than the weak and that any weakness was to be undone. They were taught the atrocious way of evil of the Nazis. Well, they were married after World War II and in America, and Kristen had no idea the difficulty that they would have. Her husband had renounced the ways of Hitler, but Hitler's damage was done. Emotionally distant, non-empathetic, driven to perfection, afraid of any sort of weakness, and the family suffered. Her four children suffered. As I listened to Kristen tell her story and recount her journey, which included not wanting to talk about her adult grown children now because of the pain that was in her eyes. I learned that because of this trauma and her endeavoring to write a book about this, that she changed her whole name. I saw, as I listened to her story, God's faithfulness in an up-close, in a visceral way. I could see as she recounted things, the question, can I trust you with my story? Will you reject me? Will you reject me? I could see the pain. I could see her hesitancy to talk about certain aspects of what she had walked through. In fear, in the moment, in the trial, I could see God's faithfulness to her. In the midst of the big questions, in the midst of an 80-something-year-old having to live with some level of um, being anonymous. When she chose to rename herself to escape the past, that's where she renamed herself to Kristen. Because Kristen, in Christ, is what she said. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ, in Christ, in God. Kristen's story is like ours. There's a broad brushstroke. That is true. He's good. He's been faithful. He's seen us. He's rescued us. But then also there is a deeper and bigger and more nuanced and painful and confusing landscape that is our lives that he is also faithful in. And we are invited to pray both and to see both and to allow both of those sorts of prayers to transform our hearts so that we become more like him. So, a couple of questions. Yeah. First of all, a question of transcendence. Are you able, a question for you, to describe God's faithfulness in broad brushstrokes? That extends beyond you and your life. That's a part of how we pray. And we learn to pray, to get our eyes off of ourselves. 
If you are in a season of acute pain right now, the Lord is meeting you there and wants to process the pain. But a part of how he wants to process the pain is moving you towards declaring his goodness outside of your experience. Amen. That's so good. That will heal us spiritually. Yeah, good. And teach us again that this is not all about us. Amen. This week, I encourage you to take a moment with family or friends to outline God's faithfulness over history. <clears throat> Sit together. Look through the scriptures, what you know of the Bible and God's history, and just recount his faithfulness and see a big picture of his faithfulness. In a Psalm 106 kind of way, are you able to list your God is good in spite of me moments? That's good for us. We don't go back to wallow in our sinfulness or our mistakes, but we can go back and esteem God's faithfulness in spite of us. Because that is the very message that somebody else needs. In spite of me, he was good. Let me share with you more. And are you able to have humility before the Lord and others and acknowledge his grace as the dominating theme of your life? Acknowledge his grace as the dominating theme of your life. We have a tendency in our own to spin, to change, to shade, to shield our life stories in such a way to where we look like the victim for the bad things that happen to us or that we're part of, and we look like the hero for most of it. For all of us, the Psalms teach us to pray in such a way that drives us to humility. Your grace is the dominating theme of my life not my goodness. My goodness falls so short. Well, eminence is, the same, is of the same word as Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to receive communion and we're going to be reminded of this God who came into history, into the world, to be up close to us, to endure the difficulties and the conflict and the brokenness of being a human, to pay the price on the cross so that we can be freed, to come and to be with us. We're going to sing the song we've been singing recently, that God is with us and he's for us. And we're going to receive of the bread and the cup, Jesus' body and blood broken for us so that we can be spiritually healed. I encourage you, take again into account your faithlessness, God's faithfulness, so let's stand together. I'll pray, and then we have a station here to my right, one to my left. There's also one in the back. Um, make your way forward. Receive of communion. Sing with Devin, and then Devin will dismiss us here in just a few moments when we're all wrapped up. Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you for your word. Teach us to pray. Teach us to, to shape our hearts towards you with humility, always esteeming your goodness, in Jesus' name, amen.